This morning, we're going to be look at the, looking at these two miracles of healing by Peter in chapter 9 of Acts. I make no apology for looking at the preceding chapters to put these events into context. Acts is a fast-moving narrative, drawing so many people to work out the purposes of the Lord. Peter, our bold and impetuous disciple, has emerged as a strong speaker and leader in the early days of the church. On the day of Pentecost, he stood up with the other disciples and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he addressed the crowd and explained how Pentecost was fulfilling the prophecy that Micah had given when God had promised to pour out his spirit on all people. As a result, the fellowship is growing, believers are sharing all they have, and the church is being established. Peter is healing in Jesus' name and declaring the gospel. He, along with John, is drawing the attention of the Jewish leaders, so much so that they're brought before them and are warned to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. But of course, as we'd expect, the apostles disregard the command and continue to heal the sick and the possessed in Jesus' name. They're put in jail, but even that can't hold them, and an angel of the Lord releases them. God has his purposes, and the apostles are the means by which the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done will be broadcast in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Stephen, who was one of the seven chosen to take on a role of administration in the church fellowship, becomes the first Christian martyr. I really hope that's not the fate of all church administrators. <laughs> so Stephen is put to death, and we meet Saul, who stood and approved of his killing. The church is persecuted and scatters, but it continues to grow as the message of Christ's salvation spreads. At the beginning of chapter 9, we meet Saul again, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But as we know, on the way to Damascus, he is blinded by a light from heaven and meets with the risen Lord. A man named Ananias is called by God to play his part in enabling Saul to see again and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which turns Saul's life around. He changes from the murderous persecutor of Christ's people, and he becomes God's special instrument who would spread the gospel message to the Gentiles. So now we come to Acts 9, verse 32, and these two healings performed by Peter. Why are they here? Why are these recipients of God's grace and healing named? And does this episode help us today? Well, we've been using a very wide-angled lens looking back at the development of the church, and now suddenly our camera's lens closes in and focuses on two very personal stories. Peter arrives in Lydda, a predominantly Gentile city about 25 miles from Jerusalem, and here he meets a paralyzed man. This is an intimate encounter. We learn the man's name, Aeneas. He's been bedridden for eight years. 
Immediately, we build a picture in our minds, don't we, of what life must, be, must have been like for him with no social security, no hospital, and presumably no employment. Aeneas has had to rely on the care and goodwill of others for his very existence for at least eight years. Peter has travelled to Lydda to visit the Lord's people. We don't know if Aeneas was a God-fearing person or if he was there because they had offered him support. Without hesitation, and still ignoring the warnings of the Jewish leaders, Peter heals him with the words, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and tidy up your mat. Does that ring any bells? Does your mind go to another encounter back in chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel? That time, Jesus healed the man lowered by his friends through the roof, and he used those words. Oh, hang on a minute. Let's backtrack. A few verses before that, Jesus had said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And this shows where Jesus' priorities lie. For Jesus, the most important thing is our spiritual health. Our physical health comes second. And in fact, with the man lowered through the roof, Jesus only healed him physically to prove that he had already healed him spiritually. I remember our kids coming back from Soul Survivor and Youth Weekends with these bracelets. My daughter still has hers, about 20 odd years later. Um, and on it, it says, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, here Peter emulates what he had seen Jesus do. And I think that we can assume that Aeneas was healed on both levels. The result was not only the healing of this man's paralyzed body, but also the salvation, as it is the same root word, of his soul and the salvation of many souls who lived in Lydda and the surrounding area. As verse 35 says, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. One man, insignificant it would seem in the community, was healed. And so many others were restored to God. No one is too ordinary to matter in the kingdom of God. Do you sometimes feel that you, what you do, is overlooked, not worth mentioning, nothing to write home about? This intimate scene shows that God doesn't see anyone as insignificant or unworthy of his love and attention. He loves every one of us. Everything we do for him, no matter how small, is valued in his kingdom. So the news of Aeneas' healing and the numbers of people drawn to Christ as a result spreads 10 miles out towards the coast and the believers there send for Peter to come to Joppa. They need him. Their need is urgent. Dorcas, also known as Tabitha, had died. She'd been a lady of influence who had the gifts of making clothing and doing charitable works for the poor. Once again, we're reminded that with no social security or NHS, the poor and sick relied on the generosity of those in their community. Tabitha was going to be sorely missed. Peter responds to the plea for help and arrives at Tabitha's house. 
You can almost imagine Peter again looking at his bracelet and thinking, what would Jesus do? He mentally thumbs through Jesus' back catalogue of healings and recalls the occasion when he, with James and John, accompanied Jesus into another upper room. Peter, like Jesus before him, sends the mourners out of the room. He kneels and prays and speaks the words, Tabitha, kum, Tabitha, get up. Where have we heard almost those same words before? Cast your mind back to our second reading this morning and the raising by Jesus of Jairus' daughter. On that occasion, his words differed by one letter. Talitha, kum, little girl, get up. By the power of God, Tabitha is restored to life and to the needy people she supported. Again, word of the miracle spread throughout the town and many more believers were added to the church. So why were Aeneas and Tabitha named here when so many others who were healed remained anonymous? Well, maybe they became well-known in the church. Their healings had brought many to faith. And why are we told that Tabitha, which is Greek, was also known by her Aramaic name, Dorcas? Perhaps because she was well-known in both sections of the community. We've already seen that these miracles bring our focus back to the individual against the background of the burgeoning church and the spread of the gospel. Let's not forget the spiritual message. Jesus said to the man lowered through the roof, son, your sins are forgiven. Our spiritual health is what is important to Jesus. We are unable to free ourselves from our own sin. We need Jesus to heal and restore us to eternal life. I've sat in Aeneas' place while people prayed for healing for my son and for myself. I expected a miracle of physical healing for him and was disappointed when nothing appeared to happen. I was a young Christian and physically for him there was no change. But with hindsight I can recognise my own spiritual healing at that time and so I can assume that my son too received healing of his spirit. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that when we enter the next part of our eternal lives, that both of us will also receive new bodies free from tears, death, crying and pain, as Revelation 21 promises. And so these two instances of healing miracles by Peter are a reflection of the spiritual healing we all receive when we commit to follow Christ who came to save our eternal souls. Aeneas and Tabitha are real people. Look around. We're real people. And it's people like them and people like us who form the heart of the church. It's people like us who keep the church going. We're the ones who serve on the rotors, belong to home groups, welcome people at the door, and operate the projection desk. These miracles bring the focus of the narrative in Acts back to Peter again. Verse 43 says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. It's important not to overlook the significance of this verse. Simon the tanner 
would not have been accepted into the Jewish community because of his work with dead animals, removing and curing the hides. The old Peter, as a Jew, would not have stayed in a tanner's house, but Peter, the leader of the early church, is on the verge of something completely new. God is about to show him, through a shocking vision, that God was not only there for Israel. This is the pivot point when God reveals how the saving work of Christ on the cross was for all people. God will challenge Peter with a vision which would lead to the message of Christ's saving grace being offered to the Gentiles and so to all corners of the world. A pivot point, a turning point, a new season, a new vicar. You see where we're going? I think God has a message for Emmanuel. Here we stand on the brink of a new era. When Frank preached on his final Sunday on the 3rd of October last year, he said a vacancy can be a time of growth, so the church is rocking and buzzing when the new vicar comes. Well, I think we are rocking and buzzing, despite the additional challenge of emerging from a global pandemic. God has given many people gifts that they're using, maybe even for the first time. He has given some people visions for new initiatives. Our church has benefited from the emphasis on prayer. Our monthly prayer meetings are well attended and I'm sure God doesn't mind that they're on Zoom. Many of us have benefited from our Unite prayer weekends. Prayer is the powerhouse of the church. I think we're all concerned about the number of our congregation who are dealing with serious illness and sadness. Please go on praying for protection for one another because the more active and obedient we are as a church, the more opposition we face on the spiritual battlefield. It's vital to continue to pray. A few weeks ago, we had a service for healing when many used their gifts in supporting, encouraging and blessing others. It felt as if the Holy Spirit was taking us to a new level in our expression of worship in music, tongues and interpretation. These things can't be measured, but they are real and shouldn't be overlooked. Let us be open to the works of the Spirit. They are biblical. We've seen that in Acts. At the beginning of chapter 9, we see how Ananias was sent by God to heal Saul's sight after he was blinded on the Damascus Road. God could just as easily have restored Saul's sight in an instant, but instead he chooses to use his people. He invites us to partner with him, and he equips us. So we look forward to the Unite Prayer event next weekend. What does God want to show us, to give us, to equip us to do? We look forward to the time when Tom and his family arrive. Let him find us serving and active. It has been a challenge coming out of COVID. Some have changed their habits of worship. Some have been fearful of returning to crowds. Some have not returned. Some of our groups and activities are still struggling to re-establish. Some things have had to change shape to survive. Maybe this is the time to pray for guidance and ask, what is Jesus asking of me? 
It's in small groups that we can find a social network in church. That's often what makes us stay, a sense of belonging and worth. When we follow Christ, his Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And when we worship together, all those elements of Christ's Spirit join into one, equipping the church and giving it strength and direction. We are the church of Christ. We all need each other. We all have different gifts. I believe every one of us, every one of us, has received at least one gift from God. Have you opened yours yet? Jesus came to earth and lived alongside us. Before his ascension, he gave us the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This doesn't mean we all have to get into a boat and row off and sail, or sail away and evangelize the world, but it does prompt us to contribute to that mission. We can't say, I'm not an evangelist, so this doesn't apply to me. We all have a part to play. We're not all evangelists, but some of us can work the sound desk, help in the children's groups, pray for God to capture hearts, or make coffee to help people feel at home. What is your passion? What gift could God be asking you to try out? If you don't know what your gift is, talk to those who know you, or speak to one of the leadership team, or pray with the prayer team afterwards. The staff can tell you where the needs are. You may be the very person they're looking for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit as individuals and collectively as your church, so that we are active and energised as we approach the next season of life at Emmanuel. Lord, as you lead us forward, we pray for your covering of protection on each person and our loved ones as we seek to obey and serve you here. Amen.